listening is, as your podcast is called, is actually a superpower in terms of, of getting influence inside organizations. Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible and give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. Have you ever been a part of a change initiative that has failed? You aren't alone. What if you could activate 3% of the influencers in your team or organization to be successful? And the thing is, it may not be who you think. My next guest on the Listening Superpower podcast is Jeppe Vistrup Hansgard, the CEO and founder of Innovisor, a boutique advisory in change analytics and organizational network analysis. Jeppe is on a mission. He's on a mission to eliminate the all too common change fiasco during organizational transformations. He emphasizes the value of people as an organization's greatest asset. He has also recently authored the ebook, Another Change Fiasco, Now What? In this episode, we explore how to influence success in change projects. We also talk about why active listening doesn't work and how peer identification of informal influencers correlates directly with good listeners. Enjoy listening in. Welcome to the Listening Superpower Podcast, Jeppa. It's a pleasure to have you on this episode with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. To get started, I'd love to know when you first started to notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't. Hmm. Good question. When did I first notice? I, I think... Uh, let me take you a bit back here. So, so one of the things we work with in Innovise is that we map influence networks. And 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 as we mapped influence networks, we discovered that introverts had more influence than others, which is kind of like counterintuitive, right? How come that introverts have more influence? And as I reflected on it, I kind of learned that, uh, realized that the, the reason why uh, introverts had more influence was that they were good listeners. Because if you want to make sense of something and you ask a colleague, how do you think about it, right? You don't want to talk to someone who's just not listening to you. You want to talk to someone who's listening and listening and listening and then reflecting on what you're saying. And then maybe come, comes back with an answer or a, an opinion maybe uh, two hours later. That's much better than a, an extrovert person that is just waiting for you to pause a single second before they come with the answer. So, so I think I learned that listening is as your podcast is called, is actually a superpower in terms of, of getting influence inside organizations. Well, I can tell you already that a lot of my listeners of this podcast will love and maybe even be surprised at what you've just said, because there's a, actually a lot of introverts that are attracted to this listening topic. 
Mm. Um, and and I also hear that a lot in the in, in the tech world because you also have you know a lot of introverts also attracted to this. So I'd like to understand this more. Introverts have more influence, and this is what you're finding. So maybe you can just describe to our audience what you're actually looking for and how you discovered this yeah. information. Good question. Yeah, no, so so um, in Innovise, we work with, with helping companies to change, succeed with change. And in, in that work, we uh, we work with a lot of the, the informal networks. There's one quote from Abraham Lincoln that I particularly like and that describes very much what we're trying to do. Um, he was defining his five principles for winning political campaigns. And he did that in 1841. And the last principle was called to persuade the undecided, send in someone they trust. I really believe in that, right? It's someone people trust, that they trust, not that we trust. So we're not talking about top down. So we need to un uncover who is it out there that has the trust. And then the second thing that happened to me and that really changed my, my view on this was, uh, I think it was called the Edelman Trust Barometer. They released something which said that uh, peers were more trusted than executives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. so, so now we know, okay, so it's peers, right? We need to find the peers of people. So we started to uncover these peer-to-peer -peer networks. Who was it that people reached out to when they wanted to make sense of things? Who was it that they reached out to when they needed to be energized? Or who was it they reached out to if they wanted to ask for help and advice? And as we uncovered those networks, we discovered that some people had more influence than others. And uh, and it was not the people that the executives thought had the influence. Because I did this, you know, I did this trick where I kind of said, okay, so who do you think it is? And then the executives were writing down names on a piece of paper. We put it into an envelope and then we opened the envelope when we were done. And I mean, there was never a match. The executives never guessed who had the most influence in their companies because they thought, well, who has influence? It must be the extroverts. That was one thing. It must be our high performers. Or it must be the people that have been in our company forever. So the most tenured people. And none of it was true. Because so I just got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> just got yes. goosebumps. No, so, so let's pause a little bit. Let's, yeah. So it's the three groups of people that you just mentioned, those seem like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. They would have influence. But they were not the ones that you found having influence. No. Who is having influence? Yeah, so that's the other thing, right? It's people like you and me. When you go out in the small tribes and groups and cliques out there in the organization, what we're discovering here is it's people that are good listeners. It's it's the introverts that has the influence, the people that you reach out to make sense of things and that reflect on what you're saying and then comes back with an answer. So so that's yeah, so that's where I really realized that the listening is a superpower. Um and and of course. That's just counterintuitive. So when, how long ago was it that you, when you realized this, like this piece of information? Mm, well, that's a good question, right? I think it's almost 10 years ago now. So, um, so that's, that has been really my agenda since, because I, I want to get it out there. So as many people as possible understand this okay. uh, when you drive change, because if you don't understand this, then you're going to hurt people. Can you, um, you know, just thinking back, you know, so so you've discovered this, and it was like a 
it was like probably a, a wow moment, something that probably, um, what changed for you after? See, what changed for me after is that I don't think you can succeed with change in any way unless you engage the informal networks in an organization. So that's really, really important for me. The other thing that, that really changed was that we, as, as we started to look for these people in the, 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 the micro communities almost, right? The, the cliques and the groups and the tribes, they need to make sense of it. So, so what changed was that, no, I think actually what really changed it was when we discovered that, it, that if we get to the right 3% of people, we call it the 3% rule. Uh, when we get to the right 3% of people, they actually are the ones that almost make sense to 90%. And those 3% of people are primarily introverts. If I had run a change, let me just say this as well. If I had run a change top down through the executive channels uh, and then cascade the information down, I would have missed. Because if we look at executive or leadership groups, management groups, they typically account for around 12% of the employee population but they only have an impact on around 50%. So I'm missing out on 50% if I do that. I need to get out there in the small cliques and groups and tribes if I want to succeed. So what you're saying is that if you can find these 3%, they have influence on 90%? Correct. Did I understand that right? Correct. Versus the 15, 12 to 15% that have influence on 50%. Exactly. That's a big difference. It is. <laughs> That's a huge difference. So, okay, everybody listening, just take a moment and just notice those numbers. Okay. So the two questions that came up to my mind, and I know I, I know I tell people not to ask two questions at once. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll start with one, but I do have a second one. Well, my two questions are, how do you find them? How do you find these 3%? And the second one is, how do you engage them? Wonderful. in change processes. Those are my two questions. And I yeah. think finding them is probably the first step, but you're welcome to tell me differently. <laughs> no, no, it is. It is. Uh, so, so finding them, that's where you get down to the peer-to-peer. -peer. You cannot do that top-down or sitting in a central unit and think, I will know who it is that we need to engage. You actually have to do, you have to do as as, um, as Lincoln was almost, almost alluding to. I mean, who is it that you're... Um, to, uh, he said, to persuade the undecided, send in someone they trust. So you actually need to understand who is it that they trust. And that's what we call peer-to-peer -peer identification. So I would ask you, so who is it that you not trust, but maybe uh, something like, who do you go to to make sense of things? Who energizes you in your daily work? Who do you go to to, to get help and advice? Those kind of questions that really determine who you are connecting to in your daily work life. Mm. So that's the peer-to-peer -peer identification. And we've run this in, in small organizations with 20 people, and we run it with 200,000 people. So, so so size is not an issue for us. We just need to get uh, allowed to actually do peer-to-peer -peer identification. Mm. So that's one thing. The other thing is how do you engage or activate? I actually have a step before that where I, I call it activate. Okay. Because let's say you have a, a central uh, group of people uh, that is working with whatever you're trying to achieve, and they now need to talk to these 3%, right? That's actually very normal that you, you kind of have to activate. You have to make sure that they are really uh, on your side, right? So, so first thing, 
you need to understand before even contact, contacting them is that they have been pointed to by their peers. That's a very nice acknowledgement of their uh, incredible power, right? And they may not realize it either. They, in most cases, they don't realize it. So, 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 they, okay. so they may not believe it. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's, but it, it, this is like a democracy, right? They have been pointed to by their peers as someone who should be, and I call it the voice of the people. So, so okay. So, so now we know we need to get in contact with them. Most people, I've only faced two people in, in, in more than 10 years who said no to being part of anything afterwards. Most people are actually happy that they get pointed to by their peers. I mean, it's, it's, it's really nice. So, so they get pointed to, and then you say, so what do you do? Well, you actually need to sit down with them. Or actually, I don't think I actually mean sit down. You need to talk to them, but, but really not talk. What you really do is that you listen first. Just listen to them. I, I normally say listen three times. You need to listen, listen, and listen, because that's the way you then build trust with them. And 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 what are the settings for this? Because uh, I think that's important too, right? Uh, if you sit yourself down with them in a formal meeting and it's time to thirty minutes and whatever, right? You've already lost. What you want to make sure you do is that you sit in the right setting, or you, that you are in the right setting. So we have clients that have said we call it fireside chats. I even had a, a client in New York who took these people down to the streets and then they walked and had a brown bag lunch. So so everything you can do to kind of remove any, uh, what do you call that? Barrier in between you. You don't want to have any hierarchical barrier kind of. Uh, it's like it's like finding ways to connect human to human. It is exactly. And, and being in motion is a good idea. So walking is good. Because when you walk, you can actually suddenly stay silent or you can watch a bird and that's okay nobody's uh, nobody's actually uh, afraid of being silent when you walk whereas yeah. if you sit in a meeting with a table in between one of them is a leader the other one is an employee then you have already created a barrier you want to get rid of the barriers yeah, plus moving helps us, our minds be movable, <laughs> change, moving, you know, it helps us to think better. Moving impacts the moving brain. Moving is just fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so you act, so you activate, so you, you discover them through peer to peer, you know, asking um, peers who they trust, who energizes them. I love these questions. Who do they get advice from or who do they go to to think out loud or whatever? Hmm. Who would stretch and their the, thinking if you want to look who, for Yeah, who would stretch their thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have this, you know, 3% of people who may not even realize or recognize the power that they have over others or the influence that they have had. Mm. They may not even realize it. Some may, some may not. We're not sure how aware they are. Um, but then actually going to them to activate them and to activate them means this acknowledgement, first of all, that this, that they are recognized. And the second, and and their value in the organization and the invitation to be a part of the process, the change process, <clears throat> and then to listen to their perspective in a, um, in a, in an environment where, uh, the power hierarchy barriers are, uh, taken out as much as possible. 
Yeah, and, and the thing is, when you then talk to them, right, you want them to co-create activities with you because that's where they become, I mean, co-creation is just magnificent here, right? Because then they kind of add their own uh, spice to whatever you're doing, right? You don't know anything in, anyways about how to make sense to their, their people, but if they can co-create activities with you or even take ownership over it, right? Then you're in the perfect place. The best thing you can actually do in a change program is to turn them into insiders. Because what happens when they be, uh, become insiders? Well, then they will start to speak your case to all of the peers that have identified right uh, them, right? So, yeah. so they will tell them, this is actually okay. This is good. What you what they're trying to achieve, and when then they tell that to their colleagues, then their colleagues can start to make sense of whatever you're trying to achieve, the sense or the change, and it's in that sense making that the change happens. And I could imagine because they have this listing piece as part of what they do anyway, naturally, then that then that continues on. So they're able to loop back and give feedback and, you know, be a part of the evolution of the, the projects. Yeah, see, that's, that's the last thing. Since they are in those networks, you, of course, make sure to use them as your feedback channel, right? So as the, 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 the change is kind of evolving, you want to make sure you, you, uh, you listen to what they know. Have you ever heard about the 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 iceberg of ignorance? So the <laughs> iceberg of ignorance is, is actually a very classic model, and um, uh, it talks about that at, at the top level of an organization, uh, the top executives only know about four percent of the problems that that their people face. Four percent. Four percent. The middlemen is they they know about nine percent of the problems that people face, but the people at the front line, right? The ones out there in the organization, they know 100%. So, so, so as you can probably see, there's a disconnect here, right? Because when we run change programs and we do not listen to the people at the front lines, for example, the 3%, we don't know what reality we are actually reacting on. We, we, we're blind to it, basically. So, so, so the, the best clients we have, right, they have realized this. And they know it's about connecting to those people at the front line, listening to them, listening, listening, constantly listening to them, right? So you can build or design something that actually makes sense out there and that works. You know, one of the biggest barriers, and I wonder how you work with this, this barrier of managers who or you know, people who are put responsible for these change management processes or getting the... Um, these, these influencers involved the fear that the fear of not being like listening, but not being able to do something about it. And therefore they don't want to listen. I've heard, you know, like even in feedback, like almost people are afraid to listen to what their employee wants to see or people because they're afraid that <clears throat> I cannot do something about it. And then they just choose not to listen because of fear of potentially not being able to do something, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Sometimes it is true. Um, how do you work with that? Because change is tough. <laughs> but it, it is true and, and there will be, there will be uh, times where you cannot react on what you hear, but then you have to explain why you ca cannot react. I mean, everybody knows you cannot react on everything. The important thing is when people have given you feedback and if you're not going to use it, is to make sure you tell them why you're not using it. That's actually, uh, that's a key trick as well. Very nice. Is there anything else, you know, around uh, that you think is important for our audience to know, or if there's, we have a mixer of leaders and we have also even new people leaders who are part of yeah. this. Fairly, I, you know, I, was, uh, I was thinking about a couple of things here because uh, as I prepared for this one, and one of them was 
I mean, we have a lot of virtual meetings right now, right? We talk with each other through Teams or Zoom or whatever. One of the, the, the things I realized that was working well for me when I was not face-to-face -face with people was actually calling people. So the, the, the old phone, right? Because it forced me to listen much more than I did when I was uh, using Teams or Zooms or whatever, right? So th that's, that's a practice that has really helped me in the past. I have another thing that I always say, which is also important, which is a, a principle I call wakama. It sounds uh, like an Indian practice. It's not. It's it's like if you can, you walk to people and talk, or talk to them. Otherwise, you call them. The very last option is email. So walk, call, mail, which is wakama. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but anyways. So so that that's uh, the, the other thing, and then the. Uh, as I think I mentioned you to uh, once, uh, I also have this thing about active listening that I'm not really happy with. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that because <laughs> I, I'm I'm not a fan of the active listening. I mean, active listening either. <laughs> That's, I, I think there's much better ways of listening. Um, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. What is it that that what is it that uh, triggers you with active listening? Yeah, no. So so uh, as you probably recall, I think it's 10, 15 years ago, it, it suddenly got popular to talk about active listening. And maybe people misunderstood the practice, uh, but but uh, what I know is that if you are active listening, right, you are very often, the way it's being practiced nowadays, you're controlling the conversation. So you're not really listening to what the person wants to tell, but you're listening to respond or to ask the next question. So you're kind of building barriers for them actually to reflect on on what they think. Which is an issue because most people actually have not formulated what their opinion is as they start to speak. So they're kind of still formulating and you are then controlling what you want them to say, asking them questions that will kind of put them into the, the box where you want them to be in. So I am I'm very much in favor of actually just making sure you stay quiet. One of the things that I do uh, as a leader is that I always speak last. So if we have meetings, I stay quiet. It's not easy, but but I, I, I really recommend to people to stay quiet, stay quiet, stay quiet, stay quiet. Always be the last one to uh, to. Uh... Yeah. And when you do talk, then wives, like what is it that you're listening? How are you listening? If you're not active listening, then like how would you describe your way of listening in, in let's say, a team meeting where you're the last person to speak? Yeah. So I'm I want to say that I'm normally trying to ask questions to understand open-ended mm -hmm. questions right so they i can ask for more reflection maybe at a point summing up what people have said i'm actually more, mostly trying to get somebody else to to sum it up if i can because, <laughs> so you because, ask somebody else to to summarize it to see yeah, what they yeah, say well, and it may be aligned with what you think what you had would have said or not yeah yeah because you can see if i sum it up then it's again my bias right what is that other people here and when they sum it up, then other f people feel actually invited actually to adjust or argue why it was not exactly what they said. That's much easier than if I sum it up because okay. I have got my hierarchical uh, leader hat on, right? So you talked about having like in the active listening, sometimes when people are asking questions and puts people into boxes. But then on one hand, there's this other thing that when you're listening in this way, you're also asking questions in a certain way to stretch or to understand so i'm just curious how you how you know the difference 
between uh, putting people into boxes and, and asking stretching questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, asking question. a stretching question, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure I know the difference. I think from nature of, I'm, I'm really, really happy that I come from the rural parts of Denmark, so I'm, I'm slow anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, slow as in thinking? I'm, you're not that slow or else you wouldn't be where you are, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, it is fun, actually, because people have said that because I'm more slow in my language, that yeah. makes me more trustworthy. Ah. Uh, and I, I have been praised for having really good pauses. Ah, nice. So, 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 so I think all of those tricks actually also are good, right? And, and, and I don't even want to call them a trick because I have pauses because that's the way I speak. But I, but it's, it's it's lovely because often you, people think they have to answer right away or else yeah. they're going to be perceived as dumb or stupid or don't know or yeah. there's this there's this thing you know it's if I pause then it makes makes it seem like I don't know what I'm talking <clears throat> about I've heard this often and I'm like no that's a myth that's you know, not I, true I tell my people to pause actually I tell them to pause when they talk to a client use those breaks to your advantage right it will make you look uh, competent actually and trustworthy <laughs> yeah and the fact that you're you're speaking in a, in a pace that people can follow you and have time to think because in our change processes even in these change projects we need to let things sink in and work with it our minds are working with it in that moment and if we're going too fast it never has a chance to really sink in and you don't have a chance to work through it in that moment exactly I forgot the, the original question you actually asked. So uh, you, you need to refresh my memory here if I... Well, we had talked about questions. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. And the question was, how do I use questions that were open-ended and not that... Was that... Or more reflect, you know, not not putting people to boxes. So, <clears throat> so this idea that active listening and people are asking questions through active listening can put people into a box and be leading into my agenda. How do you... So how is it that you listen and 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 even if you're asking questions in a way that doesn't lead things into your agenda? <laughs> yeah, I really think uh, the first thing is just staying quiet. As I said, I mean, quiet is a, a if not a superpower, it's it's a good thing to do. Just mm -hmm. in respect for other people's thought process, that you actually do not ask questions, and then you can say. So the next thing is. What types of questions will you ask to understand? And it has to be open-ended questions that invites them to reflect more on what they have just said, rather than, than uh, those questions where you ask for yes or no or, or whatever, right? So, so really making sure you use open-ended questions that invite yeah, it's really interesting. Sometimes they're so nuanced. I think it's 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 interesting to pay attention. Where is it that once we ask that to notice how people respond, do they expand even our thinking? So yeah. it's not us expanding there, but there are they also expanding our thinking? I or is it narrowing down? For examples and, and stories, or, or give me give me an example of how this would work out or something. Because by, by asking them to kind of turn it into a more human story, right? I actually learn a lot better than if it's like a very high level generic. Uh, so, so the more I understand what thought process they have, uh, the, the better I'm actually uh, understanding them. Yeah. 
so can you do you have an example of a of um of a client maybe that you worked with where it was a surprise of who the influencer might have been <laughs> yeah i'm so um many times right one of my favorite stories is actually the first time we really applied this it was an oil company and uh, in the data we discovered there was a, a frenchman who had the most influence in the organization and the leaders they couldn't believe it first of all the frenchman had only been in the company for four months or so so right how could he be the most influential person on top of that he was not even part of the nationality in that organization, right? He was he was an international person that had joined the, the company, right? He spoke with an accent, the French accent. So, so how could he be the most influential? And, 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 and first of all, the leaders just said, well, this is not working. This cannot be the person. And the HR director luckily told me, we're going to check it out because what are the work practices? I mean, the numbers were pretty clear. So what are the work practices of this Frenchman? So they had these two locations located 300 kilometers, 200 miles away from each other, right? The, everybody was kind of commuting between those two locations all the time. So when you were done with the formal meetings, you jumped out in your car and then you raced back to your own office. And that was the practice. You, I mean, connections were built inside the formal meetings by whomever you were now meeting in the formal meetings. The Frenchman, however, he did something different. So he commuted as the others, right? But he always stayed behind. He, he walked around in the office. He socialized. He talked to people. He chit-chatted. And, and and over a couple of months or so, right, people got, started to see him as a really sympathetic person. On top of that, he was also really competent, right? So he was sympathetic and competent. And that kind of went, gave him a reputation of a person that you could reach out to and he would help you with a lot of stuff, right? So within four months, he was by far the most influential employee in the organization. He was like 10 times more influential than the average person in the organization, just by being competent. But that was not the most important part, but sympathetic. And so how did you, how was he, I don't know if you can share this. Can you talk about how you activated him after this, knowing this in the change project or give some examples of how, no, so, like so how you activate someone like that? So the, the HR director, he, he got convinced after really assessing the practices of this uh, Frenchman, right? So so what he did was that he, as I think I said to you, he um, he actually sat down with him and listened to him. And and the place where he sat down was not in the office. It was actually, and that's fun, it was actually in a train. It was in a train going from one place to the other, right? So he actually made sure they had the time to sit down and talk next to each other in a train going these 200 miles, 300 kilometers. And, and, and that's where the activation happened. But, but he really listened to him. And then, and then he probably was able to describe what was going on a lot more than a lot of people actually recognized and realized. Yeah, and then, and then, then the, the HR director was asking him, so what do you think we should do? What are your ideas, right? How can we, how can we uh, change this way of, of working that we are struggling with right now? I mean, the, the, the change was about going from being a very siloed organization to having a matrix organization, instead, right? Which is a really a challenge to most people that have worked in a matrix organization. But that was, that was the change, the organization change that we're facing. And, and, uh, and the French make took uh, ownership of all, some of these activities and finding out how to, uh, design it, but above all, to explain it to the colleagues, rather than having like a formal communications team or change team 
doing this, it was it was him that was being activated to engage his colleagues, right? So I'm going to just ask you. So he's he was a chit chatty kind of hanging out kind of person. You know, often when I think of introverts, even though this is just a this is a bias, an assumption, you have people who feel like they don't do the small talk or you know the chit chatty people, but they're the observers. And actually, um, as long as they have space to recoup, actually, they do quite well with people. <laughs> Some may not perceive that as much at first, but... Um, Maybe they're not outspoken in the, the, the town hall meetings, right? But they, they're typically good on one-on-one basis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. It's the one-on-one. Do you know that in terms of the listening research, the biggest influence on whether someone feels listened to or not is the person that is listening to them. It has to do with the pair which fits perfectly when you think peer to peer. That is interesting. No, I love that. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's nice. It's those human relationships, right? And we all know what it is, right? Because we've all been going to school and we know how this works. It's, 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 it's as if we have unlearned what it is when we get into the corporate world. You know, so your book, you know, another change fiasco, and where there's all these change projects going on, whether it's restructuring, whether it's mergers and acquisitions, whether it's you know, <laughs> the stuff is it's 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 a continuous. Uh, yeah, we have ongoing. Uh, it's it's continuous. Now, right? It's ongoing change. It never stops. Now, no. as soon as we're like, finally, we get this over. The next project comes, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. And some are good, but there's also like the when you said the name of your book, you know, another change fiasco. I really I see that happening. You know, like with peers that I have talking, even um, in my not not maybe sometimes where I work, but even just across the board, talking to so many different people and being a part of these change. They're not always complete fiascos, but there's, you definitely have, you know, the, the consultants coming in, giving this advice, doing all these change. And they're, and if you look at the whole picture, I mean, unless you're just trying to get the numbers down to sell it, if you really want it to succeed, not just to get the numbers down to sell it, then it's amazing how they don't realize the full repercussion of what one piece influences on the other. This yes, production is. Exactly. Yeah, the system, the production, this production is going to be closed. We're going to move it here. But in the meantime, then all of a sudden, all the deadlines for the customers are late and then they start losing customers. And then the good employees that would hang out during this thing are also finding new jobs, you know, and then you're like, wow, <laughs> um, we don't have to go into that complex thing. But if you were just to at least give a few um, important insights on yeah change and things to consider for those who are yeah. listening what would you say yeah so i actually yeah so the book i wrote this another change fiasco now what right which is really about how to identify the three percent how to activate and engage them and to sustain their engagement over time because that's another place where people often fail so, so that's really important and i thought it was really really important gardner group released some new research saying that every single person in a company will get exposed to five company-wide transformations or has been exposed to five company-wide transformations within the last three years, every person. And when you know that that 70% approximately, I mean, that number can also be challenged. It's not my number, fails, then that means that every single person has faced minimum one failed company-wide transformation in the last year. Ghana Group is also saying that that number is supposed to double in the next three years. So every oh, single gosh. person out there will face two failed company-wide transformations a year. 
And I think that's just, ah, oh, that really annoys me, right? So what I've learned is that, that uh, if we really want to succeed with a change, uh, I have this saying here, done by the people or done with the people beats done to the people. And it's so Say important. Say that again. One more time. Say that one more time. Let me, yeah, I need so to let that done, sink in. Done by the people. That could be the 3%, right? Done with the people always beats done to the people. Do you see what I mean? So, so let's say we had this Frenchman, right? The Frenchman is now on board with this, right? He co-creates activities. He takes ownership of our activities. That's the done by the people. Done with the people is where you kind of make sure you interact with them, you talk to them, things happening. We, and it aligns with what the people say, right? You're so, not doing it to them, but you're doing it with them. Yeah, so this is this is the iceberg of ignorance, right? The 100%, they know all of the things that are wrong here. And you're not just sitting here at the top and, and doing things to them, right? So done by the people, done with the people, beats done to the people. The done to the people is where you sit at the top of the, the pyramid and you, in your ivory tower, suddenly figure out, okay, this is what we need to do to succeed, right? And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so how? That's, yeah. That's so how do you? So so then you get clear about how to activate and who's the influencer and how to manage these change process by network analysis. Or you're analyzing networks within the company who networks and and you're doing that through the peer to peer understanding peer to peer networks. Correct. Correct. That's one part of it. Yes. One part of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how technology can really support getting insight into these processes that we just, these are th things that we just didn't have before. You know, so that is important. And then I can tell you, so we've been doing this for about 15 years and and then and collecting data and information about companies, et cetera. And uh, five years ago, we embarked on a project. <laughs> and I'm sorry, this was a stupid idea. Um, we embarked on a project together with a, a university which uh, the objective was to figure out if we early in the project could actually estimate what would the probability of success be. And we came to that point two, three years ago, right? So now we could say to people, yeah, you have a, what, 52% chance of success. That's all good. The, the only thing that I hadn't thought about back then was that, well, the follow-up question from the executive would always be, okay, then tell me what to do <laughs> to improve. <laughs> Uh, so, so we had this predictive intelligence, as, a, as we call it, it's artificial intelligence, right? But we actually needed to prescribe the solutions. So that took us another couple of years, right, to figure that out. Uh, so, but now we can actually say, so this is what you have to do if you want to succeed. And I think what is much more important is that we can also tell them, and you need to forget about all these other things, because that's where it often goes wrong, right? People get defocused. Yeah, to really focus on on the things that matter. The things that matter, the three percent that, yeah. Well, actually, if if that's the case, it helps to it helps because things seem so complex. It, it helps yeah. to simplify things a little bit. And if that if that three percent influences the chances of what ninety percent of the company, mm. just going back to that statistic, I don't know if that influences the success of the project. But yeah, so there's different you... parameters, right? But 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 and right. the parameters for what you need to do to succeed will be different every single time. So you cannot have that will tell you. We can see that there are typically six things that block people from being a success, and then depending on how they are, uh, you need to configure your change program accordingly. So those okay. six things are, for example, is the leadership team working as one? Uh, yeah, in most cases, they're not. 
No. So, so are the networks fragmented? Yes, they are in most cases very fragmented because we have silos, we have etc. And when you they're too fragmented, you cannot get spillover effects of your intervention. So if I convince one influencer, there's no or one of these the Frenchmen, for example, right? There's no spillover effect if the company is fragmented or disconnected. And then the other things are like so. How do the three percent feel about the change that you're rolling with? I mean, if they don't like it, you're going to <laughs> fail, right? Their, their opinions are magnetic, right? So I, sometimes I call them the early warning signal for what you're trying to achieve, right? If they yeah. do not like it, then everybody else will not like it in two months either. So uh, yeah, actually, it's good information to have. It, it <laughs> and if you force <laughs> it is fantastic yeah. information. And then there's the commitment, overall commitment. If people do not, I mean, this is almost classic employee engagement. If people do not like your company. They're not going to change with you anyways. And then uh, there are a couple of more, which is more on the execution side. But those are the things. Um, is there anything else that you think you'd like to share with our listeners today about about your work, about change? Just remember this. This Now we talked about the corporate world or the business world, right? This is no different than from what we've all learned about out there in the schoolyard. If, if you want to throw a great party, you need to get all the small cliques and groups and tribes to to speak your case right and then and, and within those cliques and groups and tribes there will be certain people that have more influence than others it's no different every single time we work with a group of humans inside businesses or outside businesses the same number the three percent just keeps repeating itself so also when we look in in communities ecosystems yeah, I even want to say that I'm I'm very active in a local track and field club, and 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 it's the same number. And that you might be surprised at who the influencer is. It probably is not who you think. Yeah. So the the advice here is, don't think you know. Always ask. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on this um, episode with me, Jeppe. It was really a pleasure to speak with you, and you definitely gave me lots of food for thought. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm your host, Raquel Ark, and you have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and sharing with your friends. I love to hear from my listeners, what you love, what questions you have, any great guests that you have for the podcast. Email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. Check out listeningalchemy.com if you want to help your team communicate more effectively together. We focus on evidence-based listening strategies and we do it in a playful and experiential way so that your team can work better and feel better together. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production. Ivo Tiemann for your inspiring music and Dorte Streicher for your impactful artwork. It's been fun and see you on the next episode.